This week on Retronauts, we're going postal. Hey everybody, this is Bob Mackey for Retronauts episode 20, and today's topic is the Postal Series. Actually, it's not. We have not gotten that desperate for topics yet. Today's topic is listener mail. We put out a request for you guys to send us your comments, and by gum, you did that. So let's see who is here today to help me answer all of these these digital letters. Uh, who's right over here? Ray Barholtz right over here. And you'll notice, Ray, I didn't say, Ray, tell us who you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I, that, that doesn't count, though. No. Uh, so uh, who are you? Oh, Jesus, Bob, <laughs> come on. I want people to know uh, who the real Ray Barnhold is. Well, you're not going to find out in three seconds. Well, uh, okay, fine. It's Ray. You guys know who Ray is I by think now. We okay. I think we just learned a lot about Ray, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His reluctance to tell us anything. What's Ray hiding? He's find Don out in the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> so who else is here? Hi, I'm Kat Bailey. And Kat is back. Kat, who are you? I'm a freelance writer who writes for US Gamer a lot in IGN. Nice. And who is Skyping in... Hi, it's Jeremy Parrish, America's 15th most beloved middle-brow video games journalist. That's nice. Uh, God, who's first? I don't know. I, I don't okay. actually know what the rankings are. I just assume I'm not number one. I think uh, somebody needs to write that list. Game journalist power rankings. Yeah. <laughs> middle Middle-brow game journalist power rankings. Let's there's, rub you know, our cloud scores together. There's like, baby. there's, you know, <laughs> top level like Tom Bissell and Simon Parkin, and then I'm kind of in the middle tier somewhere. I'm not mm. writing, you know, like garbage churn stuff but i'm also not writing you know nobel prize laureate winning kind of awesomeness so that could be a project brow. that could be a project for our fans i look forward to <laughs> nobel prize laureate game journalism me too it'll it'll change the world maybe finally cured... video games will be recognized as art <laughs> i've cured the world of call of duty you're we'll welcome show that roger ebert <laughs> yes Hey, he's dead. Uh, R.I.P. Roger Ebert. We're, we're really meandering, aren't we? Well, today's episode is our housekeeping episode, mostly because I've been pretty busy uh, for once in my goddamn life. But uh, so I wanted to catch up on a lot of things that wouldn't take a lot of planning. And uh, you guys helped me a lot on that end. So thanks a lot if you if you left a comment. If not, uh, please, you know, keep up with our social media and we'll let you know if we need your help with anything. And uh, yeah, so thanks to everyone who wrote in. Uh, but before we go on to the listener mail section, I do want to catch up with all of the retro releases that came out in 2014. Uh, you guys might have noticed that we kind of, we really dropped going over retro releases in the old style of Retronauts early on with this version because we just record so far in advance that we are going to be telling you things five to weeks, five, like five to six weeks after they're relevant. So we don't want to do that, but I feel like this is a good time to sort of go over what I feel are the um, the 10 best sort of retro releases for uh, 2014 so far, and I've I've left one off because it's obvious, and that's a link to the past. I don't need to tell you to buy a link to the past, right? You you guys should know that. You've played Link to the Past, right? If you haven't, then stop listening to this yeah. podcast. Go download the game and play it. And if you need tomorrow uh, to do it, quit your job because you're you're missing out totally. It's a life experience you need to have. 
So I just want to go over uh, what we've had come out on Virtual Console and other services this year because uh, despite how much we complain about these things, uh, justifiably so, I think that there have been quite a few good um, releases this year so far, and we're only in uh, April now. So yeah, well, let's... Vir Virtual Console works best in aggregate. If you're doing yeah, it, it on a week-to-week -week basis, it's just full of tears. But if you stop every six months and look back, you're like, oh... Hey, there were some good games. Wow, that's a lot of money that I have to spend all of a sudden. Yeah, right. I was looking at the list and I was like, oh my god, look at all those games that go back to January. So, oh, okay. If you want to be impressed with Virtual Console, just go into a coma. And then when you when you come out of it, if you do... Super um, Mario Brothers 3 will be out. Yeah, yeah. That'll be out soon, actually. Let's not I get think. crazy there. Yeah. <laughs> So we'll go over some of these. A lot of these we've talked about in such length on Retronauts. I don't think there's much much more needs to be said. Like uh, we have Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest for the Wii U eShop. Uh, I think you can probably cut together everything we've talked about for Castlevania 2 into one giant Retronauts yourself. That could be a project for the fans. So if if you think can do that, uh, send it to us. It'll be our Castlevania 2 pocket episode, I guess. So, right, but not Castlevania <laughs> 2 on Game Boy. Oh, that's true. So uh, do we really need to say anything about more about Castlevania 2? I guess it's a lot more manageable now that there are hints... You can look them up with your Wii U gamepad if, if you want. Uh, save states, all that good stuff. So, yeah, that's probably the best way to play it right now. Uh, Jeremy, any, any thoughts on Castlevania 2? No, I mean, I've I've written so much about that game that I I just, I'm tapped out. I'm dry. You lived it. What's that? I lived it? Yeah, you lived it. I kind of did, yeah. Uh, I'm, so... actually, I'm actually dead, and uh, Dracula's <laughs> coming back to life because of my curse. So do we have to do we have to collect uh, Jeremy's parts now? Because I'm not comfortable with that. No, 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 no. I'm dead like Simon. Like I, I got the oh, best ending, which killed me. Okay, gotcha. That's that's a much better scenario for us at least. So let's move on to the next release. I have Life Force for the 3DS eShop 4.99. I love this game in theory. I'm really bad at uh, Konami shooters where you don't continue right after you die. This uh, is I know uh, Jeremy. This is actually the easiest Konami shooter in my opinion, or at least uh, of the that, Gradius series. Yeah. Um, in in part because if you play it two player in tandem, you do start off exactly where you died. So the secret to winning okay. this game until you really master it is to play with another person, and then uh, it's kind of a cakewalk because uh, whenever someone dies and continues, they just pull right in like Contra style. So that's really well, I, it's pretty handy. I didn't. I guess I didn't have friends when I was playing this game, so I did Aww. not know that. Very sad uh, early childhood, but. This game came out in 1988, and I feel like it's one of those showpiece titles for the NES to kind of just show off how how awesome games could look at that point. Uh, you have the giant skull head boss. Am I thinking of the right game? The giant snake boss? These There's, are all in Life Force, Yeah, correct? yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of those kind of recur throughout the series, but um, yeah, this is you're, you're thinking of the right one. The, the brain golem right. and uh, King Tutankhamun, who was added specifically for the NES version. And even just the levels kind of terraforming around you is super impressive. Even today, just that they, they could do that with the NES. I, I love it. Like the, the, yeah, the I mean, it's, coronas if, of if, fire coming out of the ground. If you look back, it's like a cheat. It's just kind of like one background dissolves into another. But at the time, it was like, whoa, everything's going crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, all recommended on that one. Anything else about Life Force? No. Oh, okay. I'm covering. No. Yeah, trying to cover all of these. It's, uh, it's, it's probably my favorite of the Gradius series, even though it doesn't say Gradius on it. Uh, despite its weird, tortured history, um, like it, it just feels like a Gradius game and then has kind of this extra element to it. And it's actually, in terms of difficulty, even if you don't play with someone else, I think it's probably the most manageable of the series. Like, I got to a point, you know, back when I owned it as a kid, that I could play through the entire thing on one life, which I can't do with any other Gradius game. So, um, this is definitely the baby steps into the franchise. 
Yeah, and that's on the 3DS eShop for, I think, $3.99 or maybe $4.99. I don't know how much those... Okay, $4.99, got it. So next we have something probably no one here has played. Maybe maybe Ray has played it. Uh, the Fireman 2, Pete and Danny. That's right, kids. Pete and Danny are back. Uh, yeah. I, I actually just downloaded this game last night, Ray. Uh, do you want to talk about it? Yeah, I have it. Okay, uh, cool. First one's better. First one is better. Yeah, which is on Super Famicom. Yeah. This is the PS1 sequel. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean... Concept's cool. I mean, there's only a couple of really good 2D Fireman games. Out yeah. there. It's it's one of so, three, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it is uh, kind of cartoony, a little bit, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess it's kind of over overly melodramatic at times, but when you see these stubby sort of Fisher-Price-like looking guys, <laughs> yeah, fires. But also, um, it's fun, though, because it is just a normal kind of top-down action game. I mean, normal in the sense that, you know, it's not bad, but... Uh, again, the first one's better. But, I mean, it's cool also because, like, you fight these fires that turn into, like, bosses. I love that. I love that idea. fires. And yeah. Then, yeah. It's, they sort of <laughs> wing around in sort of, like, bullet patterns as well. It's just really absurd at times. But, it's, uh, yeah, I guess Pete and Danny are up to the job. <laughs> we we know them. They're like the Mario and Luigi of their profession, right? But, uh, yeah, as this is just a, a transplant from the Japanese PlayStation Store, uh, you know, so it's not easy to understand because there is a story element to it and there's cutscenes and stuff they're all in Japanese uh, but it's also like the only fireman game to come out here in any sort of official capacity that's yeah. true that's true uh, I mean it, the it is in Japanese and there is Japanese voice acting that is unskippable so you're just watching these little tiny oh, sprites right. like yes. kind of waggle their jaws while Japanese uh, language is playing <laughs> and, and you might not be able to understand it but um <laughs> I liked it uh, I, I didn't play as much as Brave might have played but uh it's one of those really, really early PlayStation games where it could have been secretly a Super Famicom game, like like Suikoden, maybe? Or Ark the Lad. Yeah, like, Aesthetically, yeah. it reminds me a lot of Ark the Lad. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of when I played it, actually. <laughs> it, it, like, it barely takes advantage of the technology. Like, at mo I think they just threw the voice acting because, like, we have to do something with this Look, CD. Look, FMV. Yeah. <laughs> that just gave me an idea. How about high fantasy firefighting? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. That could be for the next podcast yeah. we're doing, actually. Fire Emblem so 12. Yeah. So do we recommend this? I think it's good for for five bucks or six bucks, however much it is. Man, you put it on the top ten list, so we'd better recommend it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, these are these are my top ten. I want to know if you guys agree agree with me or not. Yeah, I, I don't think it's as good as the first. Okay. So, I mean, but all things considered, you know what I just said about it being you know officially released here, it's worth a try. Okay, cool. I'd recommend it over uh, Tomba 2, the Japanese version that's on uh -oh. American PSN. Is that the Japanese version? Yeah, that's the problem. Oh, I have to change my list then. Okay. So the yeah. next one we have is uh, is Trapped, T-R-A-P-T, -T, and not that awful band you're probably thinking of. Actually, I don't even know if they're awful. I just know that they're like a metal band, and oh. they were not popular at the time, but they share the name with this game. Anyway, Trapped is a is an installment in the Tecmo's Deception series, which is a great series that would actually just had a new game for Vita, Deception 4. And PS3, I keep forgetting that. Uh, I, I reviewed the Vita version for Games Radar, but um, that'll be out by the time this comes out. It's it's pretty good. Um, they add a lot of perversion, which you would expect from a Japanese developed game these days. It's like extra layers of perversion that would were not exactly there in previous games. But well, this um, game already has a big bondage component. To it. There is. I mean, you do you do control a, a girl in practically in lingerie. Um, the 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 sequel, which I played for Vita, it, she basically has like plunging butt cleavage that you stare at for the entire game. So yeah. things could always be worse. But Trapped is a another entry in the Tecmo's Deception series. It the games don't change that much. They just become a little more polished. Um, it's the first and only one on the PS2. Uh, basically, the the premise is you're in league with Satan. You lure people to your mansion and then you kill them with yeah. traps that you set up. 
Um, it's not really like tower defense. It's kind of its own thing. And, and the original yeah. one was sort of like proving what different kinds of games could be on the PlayStation because there's really nothing like it. Right. It was like part sim, part first person, whatever, RPG. Very strange. But uh, Trapped is great. I like Trapped a lot. I was playing some of that this morning. Has anyone played Trapped? I'm seeing a lot of... Honestly, no. I haven't played any of the Deception ones. Even though oh. I, always, I always, always heard it was really good, and I, I, I recognize that, but I never found the time to really try it. They're fun. I've, I've seen some great videos. There's some crazy, long combo videos. Yeah, yeah. Especially from the new one, where it's just like absurdity. Right. And I know it is that that great in that, in that style, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, the point of the game is to sort of devise these Rube Goldberg death traps where you, like, you, you, you knock a guy into a swinging axe, which throws him into a bed of spikes, which rolls him down the stairs into something else. Um, it's all super fun. I love yeah. it a lot. So that's Trapped. It's on PSN for $9.99. Yeah, that's right. PSN is still releasing new games, in case you weren't sure. <laughs> uh, and you can't play those on your PS4. Sorry, kids. Can't do it. Chuck it in the river. It's useless. Uh, so... Um, sad. I know. I, I'm just... I'm just uh, uh, my, my Luddite senses are coming through even though I do a video game <laughs> podcast. New technology! So we also have, uh, speed through these a little faster, Herx Adventures. Jeremy, tell us about Herx Adventures, PSN. Man, that game is so great. It's basically a sequel to Zombie Ate My Neighbors that has nothing to do with zombie, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. But um, it's the same developers. Uh, you know, there was a, a sequel, Ghoul Patrol, that wasn't actually made by most of the same people who made Zombies Ate My Neighbors. But they went on and, you know, LucasArts... Uh, back when they were doing original content, remember those days? Um, oh. Made this kind of top-down multiplayer action adventure game. Instead of being set in the uh, you know like zombie world, it's uh, set in ancient Greece. You can control either Hercules, Jason, or Atalanta, and uh, two people can play at once. And um, I don't know. It's just it's kind of simplistic, but it's fun. It has this interesting element where when you die, you're sent to Hades. It's not a game over exactly. But um, basically, every time you die, you're sent further back into the underworld and you have to fight your way out. And eventually you get to a point, I think after five deaths, where you just can't fight your way back out. But at the end of the game, you fight your way back into hell to destroy, or Hades, to destroy the god of the underworld. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a quirky, fun little game. Uh, for six bucks, you can't go wrong. It's actually pretty hard to come by. And the actual legitimate PlayStation release of the game is very expensive now, so... Uh, yeah. I was really happy and surprised when when this showed up on PSN because it's definitely one of my favorite little B tier obscure PlayStation games. I had a lot of fun with it back in the day. Yeah, I remember this came out around around the time the Disney movie came out, so I was just like, "Why, why are <laughs> yes. there two Hercules games? I don't get it." It's her- yeah. Uh, are you that easily fooled? Uh, I don't know. That's- Maybe that made you think like the LucasArts one was a lower quality. Well, you know, like when you go to the grocery store and it's like the fake yeah. Disney yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Just like it's this of was the it's ants like, to Bugs Life, but actually, yeah. no, this was the good game. <laughs> it's like uh, I go to the grocery store and I see Freezed, yeah, <laughs> or something like that. Was not in fact made by three guys from Italy in an apartment, <laughs> <laughs> or the uh, the Hans Christian Andersen version of Little Mermaid where she dies at the end. Right. Yes. So uh, before we wrap up, a few more. We have uh, Shin Megami Tensei for the uh, iOS platform. Who's played this version? I haven't yet. I have yet to play it. Just, uh, just it? a tiny amount of it. Just enough to kind of get a feel for how they've, they've ported it. And it's interesting because mm-hmm. uh, instead of porting it to be landscape format, it's uh, portrait format. So the game screen well, itself comprises the top portion of the, the uh, screen. And then there's a virtual control system. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't Wait, touch what? the screen. Um, you touch the play field, the actual viewable... Thing and that switches the orientation. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I when I, I when I, I played it, it was it was uh, just like the intro, and it was you know 
like virtual buttons below the screen, which um, I know that was confusing me too because I had seen screenshots of it in landscapes. Like, how I how do I do this? How, what the hmm. fuck? And then finally, I look it up. It's oh, you actually touch the game play screen, and then it switches it. It's silly. I'm, I'm sure the game itself is fun, but I'm unfortunately spoiled by Persona 3 and 4, where all of those mechanics in the game are... All the SMT mechanics are delivered in the most, like... Uh, God. <laughs> the SMT hipsters are going to come after I know, you. I know, but they like... destroy you for that. Everything is much more intuitive, easier, less less trial and error with Persona games, and I feel like that's the most approachable version of those mechanics, but in these games, like, I try to go back to Persona 1, Persona 2, and I play a lot of, like, hard, kludgy, old games, and now that I've been spoiled by per- the older Personas, I can't go back to the old SMT style. I don't know about you guys. I'm just really spoiled. I, I don't know. I, I, I like grumpy, hateful... Uh, first-person RPGs. I, I can do Etrian Odyssey, but I, SMT4 just, like, really broke me. I just... Etrian Odyssey isn't that grumpy or hateful. Yeah. It's loving. Etrian I guess Odyssey it got only better, pretends yeah. to be grumpy and hateful. It's actually... It's it's incredibly playable because of all the streamlining and modernization. Yeah, I love I love Etrian Odyssey 4, but... So I guess we can recommend... I mean, it's only 8 bucks, and I, I give it a try just to have something a little more substantial to play hey, on my if, phone. Yeah, if you want something... And a good RPG and iPad, and you want a hardcore dungeon crawl, yeah. there you go. If you want to look um, down on... I wouldn't... I wouldn't recommend playing it on iPad. I tried playing it on an iPad Mini, and because really? of the virtual buttons, even an iPad Mini is just too big. Like I, I don't know, maybe I just have tiny hands, mm. but too big. I guess okay. if you're like a football player or something, basketball <laughs> player, you can uh, you can hold it more easily. But I found that the iPhone it's, is actually a better uh, format for it. And you can you can play this game and be a total snob on the bus while everyone else is playing Candy Crush. You can be like, I'm playing hardcore Japanese RPGs right. on my phone. And they're about Suck to it. My game myself. starts with Jesus being crucified. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> my game's about the devil. Have fun with your candy. All right, let's That's move also on. about the devil, r- but in a different form. That uh, Yeah, commerce. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, so the last three games are all released on uh, April 3rd, and they're all the uh, Game Boy Advance games for the uh, virtual console on Wii U. I love all these games. I think they're all really three good choices. solid choices. I yeah. For the GBA. It wasn't like, here's the version of Mario World that's not very good, but I mean the, the version of uh, Yoshi's What's Island. What's wrong with the Mario World version? Just, just play Super Mario World for the Super Nintendo. <laughs> It's oh, on there. Yeah. At the time, yeah. I didn't have a Super Nintendo. I had a GBA. Well, I mean, if if that's what you're you're dealing but with, but I guess yeah. it doesn't make any sense to buy the GBA version when you can get no. the Super Nintendo version. Unless you want to hear Mario scream every time he touches something. <laughs> Just what I needed. Okay, whatever, Mario. So we have Advance Wars, which I'm not a fan of, but I respect. What? I'm not a fan of Advance you don't Wars. Like Advance Wars. I find it's I'm not the, a fan of Advance Wars either. Yeah. What? Yeah, I, I, I find the strategy is too prescribed in that yep. you are intended to do approach the thing in a certain way and it's too programmery yep. for me. My that's, mind doesn't work like that. It's, it's, way too, uh, it's way too much about like, hmm, what did the map designer want me to do in this map as opposed yeah. to that what's the, the best way to finish in, this battle? That is the case in Advanced Wars 2 and du- Dual Strike, but it's definitely not the case in Advanced Wars 1. It's much mm. more. I, I played the first for, Advanced Wars more than any of the others, and uh, it really no, turned me off. I, I got to <laughs> disagree. That's the one that got me into turn-based strategy. The Warm Room is terrific. It's a good game. I'm going to agree. Catherine Bailey, the more, you're the more wrong. The, deeper, the, the more complicated it got, the worse it got, because it kept they kept adding in stuff like the dual strikes that made the maps practically impossible and you had to play them a certain way. But in this case, simplicity is a virtue. I I do appreciate it on on a puzzle game level, but it's not the game I want it to be, I guess. I I want it to be more of a a room for error and room for experimentation, but it really doesn't offer that, at least from the way I'm approaching it. And it's been a while since I played one of these games. Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. I was just going to say, I like the aesthetic of Advance Wars a lot more than Fire Emblem, but I like Fire Emblem's mechanics a lot more than Advance Wars. 
Oh, intelligent systems. Why can't you just combine the two? Yeah. Oh, wait. Advanced Wars got me into turn-based strategy, though, so I have a certain soft spot. And a little fun fact for you kids out there. This game came out on September 11th, 2001. It's amazing that a game called Advanced Wars was able to stick around after being released on that date. Yep, well, I mean, at that point, the damage was done. Like, it was in stores already. What are they going to do? Like, say, oh, send it right. back. It's totally unrelated. Oh, to no, I'm not talking to. about a recall. Just I'm just surprised it stayed around, like, you know, oh, yeah. as a yeah. thing. Like, th- like you know, people didn't react. Like, how could they release a game with war in the title? We just took Gundam off the air because it would scar children. I guess it was uh, just delightful enough to yeah. like, set off any signals. I love the friendly anime approach to horrific warfare. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, driving around tanks and shooting at each other is fun. Yeah. So up next we have Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga. My favorite of these games before they got way too overwritten and way too like uh, for babies. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to add anything, but th- this game uh, is just a really, really great RPG. I, f- I played a little bit of it because I bought it the other day, and I feel like it it really is a little insecure about what it is. So it has all these ties to Super Mario RPG uh, for the Super Nintendo, like a lot of the same musical cues, a lot of the same like um, mechanics and stuff. The game would eventually grow to be a much different thing but i love the first game not to say that other games are terrible but this is like the best the best mario luigi in my opinion i I like i like the third one as well but how do you guys feel about superstar saga good rpg i can never get into them Mm. it's a little too simple i don't know i love the rhythm battles mario rpg yeah but once you started getting into the gba games i i did my best to i played i played it tried to really get into it and it ended up kind of boring me Hmm. Jeremy, how do you feel about Superstar Saga? Mm, it's it's pretty good, but the the Mario and Luigi games will always be a pale imitation of the Paper Mario games to me. That's just how it is. I'm afraid. See, I, I feel like it's, those fall it, off in, a cliff in my too. heart. I love intelligent systems. What can I say? Even if I don't yeah. like Advance Wars mechanics and Fire Emblem's aesthetics, they're still they still Ray, have one up on Alpha Dream. Okay, Ray, how do you feel about Superstar uh, Saga? The series is way more true to itself than Paper Mario was. Like Bob just said, Paper Mario fell off a cliff. Probably a deeper one. Yeah, it's it's at the bottom of a gorge now. Yeah. Uh, so, what? No, yeah, Sticker Star was great. I hated Sticker Star. I wanted to like wow. it, Jeremy. I bought a 3DS with Sticker Star because I'm like, I want to play this game and love it, but I just it, it turned me off. Oh, dear. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> We're all disagreeing. This is a very contentious yeah. episode. Bob, I thought I thought you would have enjoyed Sticker Star given how much you hated Zelda uh Twilight or, sorry, Skyward Skyward Sword for being constantly like here's what you need to do cuz Sticker Star is just like eh, go do your own thing, figure it out. You're smart. Uh, I liked that. It it, it was, was nice. too much for me. Like I, I was just plagued by random battles and all kinds of Okay, this is not the <laughs> in there 10 no years we can talk about uh, Sticker Star, right? Okay. <laughs> we could do that. So last one uh Metroid Fusion. Um I know Cat, you you tweeted about playing it. Can you tell us more about Metroid Fusion and how how much you love it or dislike it or oh, did you like just it? start playing it? No, I st- I played it 10 years ago. Uh, right, but I mean I read when I thought I was going to be a paramedic. Okay. Actually. I was on an ambulance ride and I have a distinct memory of sitting in the firehouse waiting for horrible accidents to happen playing Metroid Fusion. That is funny uh, because Mario Luigi Superstar Saga, to go back for just a second, reminds me I played through eight hours of that game for the during the one time I gave Plasma. I had to wait eight hours and across from me was one guy reading the same page of the Bible for eight hours. That must have been the best page of the Bible. It was probably like uh, Deuteronomy or something where it's just all these begats and he was like, what the hell? <laughs> I need, I need to map this out, but uh, please continue about Metroid. Metroid Fusion obviously remains controversial because it was much more structured, used navigational systems to explore uh, a space station. Uh, Samus was much different than usual. She had the fusion suit. Um, she was vulnerable to ice. Um, there was the doppelganger Samus that would hunt you. 
And the, but the things that jumped out at me about that game, first of all, the graphics were very good for the GBA. Oh yeah, they look great. Uh, they look terrific. Uh, it was really spooky and atmospheric, especially when you were being hunted by your evil ex-virus doppelganger. And then at the end of the game, uh, I was really pleased when you had a fully realized 16-bit version of the Omega Metroid. Mm. Speaking as someone who enjoyed Metroid 2 much more than a lot of people, uh, it made me happy that they actually acknowledged that Metroid 2 was a thing. Um, and beyond the fact that she discovers the baby Metroid at the end of the game. Like they, well, I mean, they actually, in more the, entire, the entire space station is a simulation of uh, SR-388. Yeah, yeah. So like the whole the, the whole game is kind of built around Metroid 2's uh, like the the monster aesthetic and that sort of thing. The the areas. Yeah, it's definitely recommended, especially if you miss. Uh, I don't obviously. I don't think it matches up to Super Metroid. What does? But as a 2D Metroid, I think that Metroid fans should definitely check it out, especially now that it's on the Wii U. Especially now that Metroid is uh, the same the same gorge as Paper Mario. Right? Unfortunately, you can't transfer the fusion suit over to Metroid Prime anymore. Damn. If you do that. Damn. I know, your heart's broken. That'd be great if you could download Metroid Fusion, but downloading GameCube games, that's, that's ridiculous. Who would what? ever, how could that ever even work? I know, That's just right? insane. Let's, we're definitely not downloading PS2 games right now. Let's agree we never had this discussion. <laughs> so, uh, are we going to talk about uh, how the GBA games look on the Wii U? Yeah, I wanted to... Uh, uh, the best way I can describe them is being... Okay, this is maybe, this is just me, but they feel very crispy and crunchy. Mm. Like, yep. Like, they have this, like... Are you like, playing them on the TV or the Wii, Wii remote? Uh, TV. But I, I do recommend that you do not use screen smoothing because it looks awful. Yep. And turn on perfect pixel mode because it just adds little tiny borders to your... Um, to the screen, which are not as as big as you would think they were, but it displays the game in its proper ratio where everything looks the way it's supposed to look. Unfortunately, it was designed, these games were designed for an unlit screen. I mean, the games are not des designed to, to be played on a TV, obviously, even though the Game Boy Player is a thing. And, um, like, the whites are not white. They're, like, kind of like an off-white, off grayish color. Like, they look a little off, you know. They're not bad, but, like, the 2D sprite work looks fantastic when it's blown up, uh, depending on the game you're playing. But are all these games... Superstar Saga? Or? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, looks really good on a TV outside of the crispiness. And by that, I'm also referring to the audio. But what, what else have you noticed about the uh, emulation, Kat? Well, I was extremely skeptical about a, a GBA emulation on the Wii U. I thought it was kind of pointless. But now I realize, well, of course, you would play it on the gamepad. And that's kind of the best way to play GBA games now, outside of maybe getting the GBA SP with the backlit screen. But even then, the screen is smaller. Yeah. And on the gamepad, it actually looks really sharp. I was surprised. It does, um, it does. It looks, especially Metroid Fusion, which I've been playing, um, it's not quite up to the level of, say, Super Metroid. I think Super Metroid still looks better, but it does look quite nice on well, that on, gamepad and I on feel the gamepad, like on the gamepad Metroid Fusion looks sharper and better rendered than Super Metroid does mm -hmm. like the emulation is better for the Game Boy Advance stuff than for Super NES mm. I say this yeah. as someone who just like played both games on, on the gamepad yeah. mm -hmm. well Jeremy you had a lot of uh, thoughts about this you kind of just wrote a um, an uh, editorial in US Gamer can you talk about what you feel about the um, the GBA emulation I know yeah, you have a lot I mean, of opinions about the, that the emulation, the GBA emulation on, on Wii U is really, really top-notch. Uh, it's the best emulation I've seen of any system on Wii U so far. And it makes sense because it was uh, middle, the you know, the the programming and, and all the, you know, the heavy lifting was done by M2, who are better known for doing Sega's virtual console stuff. And for the first time, Nintendo brought them over to do their own, you know, internal development. 
uh, internal, you know, their, their first party systems instead of just having them do Sega stuff. And, um, you know, they brought their usual discipline to it and their usual, like, let's make this as accurate as possible. But at the same time, knowing that M2 worked on this, I'm disappointed by the dearth of options that come with GBA uh, emulation. Like, you know, the, the features that they have are good, but then you look at what the stuff they did with Game Gear, that they did with uh, the Sega 3D Ages, which aren't emulation, like those are completely reprogrammed. But both of those have sort of this, um, they're, like there's this dual presentation to them. You can play them crisply and cleanly and, you know, like as perfectly as possible. But then they've also, with Game Gear and uh, the 3D Classics, gone to great pains to give you sort of, like to, to simulate rather than emulate the experience of playing Game Gear games on a tiny little screen with like heavy pixel definition and ghosting <laughs> and no backlighting. Like you a can play battery light. Yeah. Well, you can, you can play your Game Gear games on 3DS with uh, like a virtual shell around it for, you know, pixel perfect size, which Nintendo yeah. also does with Game Boy. But then M2 went the extra step. And you can turn on ghost lighting or the the uh, sorry the the sprite ghosting and uh, like simulate the backlighting and just kind of make it look as washed out and terrible as you want. <laughs> and it's really 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 faithful to the Game Gear experience, which admittedly was pretty terrible. And it's much nicer to play the games without all that stuff on. But I love that it's there. And with the 3D Ages, they did things like um, you know with uh, was it Super Hang On, whichever um, whichever had the bike with. I'm blanking out. I think it was super hang on. Yeah, well, yeah. basically they, they have it so that the screen will actually go off screen, if that makes sense. Like just to simulate the uh, the deluxe version of the cabinet where you are actually physically on a motorcycle steering by leaning. Um, like they've, they've made it so you can tilt the system and uh, control with the accelerometer and the, uh, the emulated screen will actually kind of like tilt in such a way that parts of it actually go off the 3ds screen to kind of create that impression that you got the the, t the physical kinetic sensation of playing that game and you know it's obviously not the same as as sitting on this motorcycle shaped cabinet and sliding back and forth but it's as close as you could possibly get with a handheld system and there's just such love and attention put into the m2's work for sega that's missing with with gba and even if it were something like you know simulating Classic Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Advance SP, Game Boy Micro, like different, uh, you know, levels of lighting and kind of inaccuracy. And maybe like for the GBA SP mode, your uh, gamepad's uh, headphone port wouldn't work because there was no headphone jack on the GBA SP. You know, just like little things like that, that um, could kind of take you back in a, in a nostalgic way to the things that you're kind of glad went away about portable gaming. But at the same time, like when you have those sensations, I've been playing a lot of old Game Boy games on Game Boy lately, and it's mm. kind of terrible. But at the same time, I'm <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I like, like that's part of the game. The games were designed around these limitations. And, um, you know, you saw that in, in some of the later GBA games, like Final Fantasy Tactics Advance had uh, like classic Game Boy mode and Game Boy SP mode, where one mode was more washed out than the other. And right. I just, you know, I don't know. I really wish that M2 had, had, gone the extra mile or been allowed to go the extra mile more likely and yeah, I think created that, that created that simulation as opposed to just emulation and 
I don't know, like we're paying $8 a pop for these games and you can go online and download these games for free. I don't think you should do that. That's piracy, it's theft. But I mean, that's like that's what people are going to do. So if you're asking someone to pay a premium a premium price to play these games, like you need to go the extra mile. You need to provide extras. You need to entice them and give them something more than just like, "Hey, you can play this on Wii U." Well, yeah, they can play it on PC also. I agree, but I don't know that getting as like this novelty stuff is necessarily the answer. Like, uh, I don't think that's the if, only at, answer. At some, I think it's part of the answer. I think if, they should also have things like documentaries, and they should have yeah. footage of archival version, like early versions of the game. Like Metroid Fusion was and, originally a Game Boy Color game. Get some of that footage on there. Get like the weird beta Game Boy Advance version where they just took the graphics from Game Boy Color and put it on GBA, and you could like jump upside down they had all kinds of weird stuff in the the early versions of the game like i'd love to be able to watch that archival material it's great that they have the manual scans in there but there's so much more about these games and we're just i feel like they're really missing an opportunity to sort of preserve them and say this this is the history of this game as well as the game itself this is the experience of this game let's make this the definitive retro release of this game but they're not they're just really really good Mm. I think you're hitting the nail more on the head there, Jeremy. When I, I'm thinking of like the the Kirby collection on the Wii, where they had a very nice front end for selecting all the different games. They had museum materials, and they really kind of blew out the the Kirby experience in a way that was really meaningful. And f- and for me, that sort of stuff matters a lot more mm-hmm. than say the ability to play the game in the washed out kind of simulated GBA. Sure, but you're getting you're getting hung up on particulars there. That was just one example. But what I'm talking about is the overall experience and the just the amount of content in the package. I want something more than just like here's the ROM and it looks really nice. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd like cross uh, sorry, cross platform play. Ray, you've been silent. Oh yeah. Do you have any uh-huh. thoughts on GBA emulation on the Wii U? Um, I'm just waiting for the NeoGAF thread that's like, should Nintendo discontinue the Wii U and market the gamepad as a Game Boy Advance XL? I think that would really work. I think if people saw the Game Boy Advance game that they loved so much 10 years ago, they would run out and buy it, and Nintendo would be safe forever. Well, wow. we got some real armchair uh, Nintendo presidents out there, don't we? Yeah, people drive me up the fucking wall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone knows what Nintendo should be doing next, apparently. Yeah, I feel like I but... should hit the logout button right now. That was really accurate. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, okay, just briefly, because we talked a lot about it. I mean, I, I enjoy what they've done. I want more, obviously, like Jeremy, Cat, and Ray. We can all agree that more can be done for 8 bucks. But what games would we like to see on this service? I mean, Jeremy, you pointed out a really good uh, a really good point in your, in your article that Nintendo will feign interest in supporting a certain kind of platform. Like, we're going to do Game Gear games. We're going to do Neo Geo games. We're going to do arcade games. And then they just, like, will do a handful of them and quit. Right. I don't want to see that happen because the GBA is, it's really hard to play games for this. It's not like a DS. You can't just pop your DS card into your 3DS. Uh, of course, if you have a DS later earlier, you can buy GBA cards, but I don't have one anymore. So I want to see games like the Castlevania trilogy for the GBA. I want that on here. I want Drill Dozer. I want um, the Shining Force remake, which no one really remembers. That's a great game, too. How about you guys, uh, Kat? The time has come. Mother 3. Yeah. But, oh. How did I not? Yeah. Don't, don't <laughs> say that. You're just getting his hopes up. I'm, uh, I'm like frustrated in advance in anticipation because of it never happening. The right. time has come. Yeah. I would uh, really appreciate um, Ninja 5.0 coming out for the mm-hmm. service. And mm. that is owned, that was a Hudson game published by Konami. And Konami is one of the companies that actually is supporting Virtual Console GBA. 
Uh, yeah. Aria of Sorrow was rated for release somewhere or another in the world. So that is a possibility, and I would very much like to see that game so people can appreciate how very nice it was, if not quite worth $250 that it's currently yeah. going for. Wow. The cart? Uh, the cart's like 90 bucks, but the, okay. the complete package is about 250 300 That is crazy. Ray, did we? Did you give your suggestions? No. Um, yeah, I was just curious. Think, what did I play most on GBA? I guess it was a lot of these uh, really hot-hit games, which are, they've already released, basically. That's, that's the thing about this is that I've played all through these already. I don't really see I don't want to be. buy them again. Um, so I, it's like, I don't know. There are some uh, outlier games that might be cool at some point, like Car Battler Joe. Mm. Oh, that's right. At least that. The, uh, the GBA version of Grand Theft Auto? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, what were those those cartridges you, you would buy and they had they had one episode no. of like SpongeBob on oh, them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Game the Boy videos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ray, I keep interrupting. Go ahead. No, no, I mean, I don't have a great answer for you anyway. Okay. Um, I'm sure Square will re- release the Final Fantasy stuff. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Kat. That'd be there nice. Is some, there is some terrific outlier stuff on the GBA, for sure, like mm-hmm. Drill Dozer, uh, the Castlevania games. But by and large, my memories of the GBA were walking into a store and just seeing a wall full of really bad licensed mm. games because the GBA was, quote, kind of the baby console. My first console... It's what kids that like who are five years old got in lieu of say a GameCube because hmm. the parents were like, getting them, and then they bought uh, SpongeBob SquarePants the video game. Yeah, you know? um, I would like to see Harvest Moon Friends of Mineral Town. Actually. Oh yeah, that's that a was, great version. Yeah, that was maybe the best Harvest Moon in my opinion. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, I think we mentioned we talked about that a lot on the Harvest Moon episode. Uh, there uh, are yeah. certainly enough good games for it. It's yeah. just also a lot of ports. Yeah, there are. It's funny, all the garbageware has moved to phones now, so portable systems no longer have, like, Mary Kate, Ashley Olsen, BMX, X, Pony oh, Adventure. Oh, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, not, and not, as, not as great supply. Yeah. I mean, someone, someone needs to make trash, but there's not as much trash, right? Uh, Bob, you mentioned Shining Force. I read uh, Shining Soul 1 and 2. Yeah, that's right. Are those Grasshopper? They're developed by Grasshopper and uh, Akira Ueda, who also, you know, he did Contact as well. Hmm. So, yeah, they have that great aesthetic to them as well. And, uh, yeah. Cool. Not bad action RPGs. I mean, the second one's better, much better. But yeah. Cool. Well, let's close the book uh, on retro oh, releases. You guys, oh, you, you forgot uh-oh. one last thing. What's forgot up, Jeremy? The best Game Boy Advance game, which is Wario Land Urban 4. Yeti. Oh, okay. Oh, Wario Land Four. That's right. Oh. I just um, I just assume that's coming because it's an ambassador yeah, game, it but is. I could right. be wrong. Yeah. Is it is it is it actually listed to be released soon or something? Uh, I don't know, but I mean, it's it's first party Nintendo. They'll put all their first party stuff on there. Yeah, and also oh. be sad because uh, Super Mario Advance Four, no three, Yoshi's Island is the only version of Yoshi's Island we're going to get on Virtual Console. Yeah, yeah. There's not okay. That's a separate podcast of just me screaming until I pass out, <laughs> and then you can record the rest in the hospital GBA because games aren't out on the 3DS eShop, right? No. no, no. That's so weird. Because they like had to hack their own system apart to figure out how to squeeze them in. It, it, like they're it, out on the ambassador program. Yeah, but like right, but those ambassador GBA program mode, yeah. games run on a backward compatibility mode within a backward compatibility mode, and they turn their <laughs> 3DS into a Game Boy Advance. So it's such a you headache. can't put the system to sleep by putting it in clamshell mode. The Wi-Fi doesn't work. Like it's it's pretending to be another system and. I think Nintendo just doesn't have the stomach to uh, publish GBA games in that state because all of a sudden it like 
it turns their their fancy little high-end uh, handheld system into kind of defective, like this 10-year-old piece of hardware, and they they would hate that. Yeah. God. Okay, one last thing on Virtual Console. Nintendo, stop giving people Yoshi. No one has ever liked that game. It's a bad puzzle game. Every time I log into Club Nintendo and right. see it's something that's been giving away, I'm like, Get, okay, I have Yoshi on like five platforms now because it's always free. There's a reason. Okay, I'm done. That's My, my rant is over. The good That's news is they can't put it on any other system right now. Like, it's out for all their systems, and we're safe until their next platform is out. on to our next little bit of uh, news before we go into viewer mail we talked a lot about virtual console we had a lot of pent-up anger and rage it just all spilled it out onto the... fury yeah just like Arr! all right so virtual console does that to people yeah ang- angry's up the blood so uh some fan translations that we might have missed in the past year and there there have been a lot so i just pulled a few uh and jeremy you just <laughs> mentioned this recently uh Seventh Dragon for the DS, uh, translated by Pokétax, uh, and that's a full, complete translation for the DS. Jeremy, talk about Seventh Dragon. You were a huge advocate of this back in the one-up days. Yeah, I, I was um, always bothering uh, different publishers to publish it in the U.S. Uh, I was I was hassling Sega and Atlas and uh, Ignition and a few others, and apparently everyone looked at it and evaluated it for U.S. release and said this game's too hard, which is really weird <laughs> because this is also Atlas, the publisher of Etrian Odyssey and, and Shin Megami Tensei. Like, is it really that hard? I mean, there are some parts in the yeah. game that are like, whoa, that's really tough. But I don't know, like nothing about the game said, hey, this this is unbeatable. Um, yeah. So basically what you have is Kazuya Nino and uh, Reiko Kodama, uh, the creators of Etrian Odyssey Persona, and also uh, the creator of uh, uh, Fantasy Star, got together and made an RPG that's basically Etrian Odyssey with a Dragon Quest worldview. So even though it's not a first-person dungeon, like you you create a guild of uh, four characters from a set of different, uh, you know, uh, classes and you can define your character portraits and then you go out adventuring and you take lots of quests and you're mapping the world, not physically like in Etrian Odyssey, but... The idea is still, you know, go out and explore, and um, there's all these dragons that exist in the world, and you have to destroy all of them, and uh, there's also, like, these toxic flowers that cover the world, and you have to be careful when you're navigating the world to avoid them. So basically the whole thing is, like, the second stratum of uh, Etrian Odyssey 2, where uh, everything is poisonous and you have to be careful about where you walk, but mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a, it's a really good RPG. I haven't finished it. I played, like, 10 hours of it in Japanese and really, really enjoyed it, but uh, for whatever reason it never came to the U.S., but now... You can play it illegally in English. Yeah, that's the best way to play things, illegally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, put a few bucks in Sega's mailbox if you feel bad for them. But, uh, yeah. So next up we have, and there's not a lot to say about this. I just want to uh, say that it's out uh, on uh, February 24th, uh, 2014. We had Record of Lotus War, the Super Famicom version, which is probably the most generic RPG ever because it is just based on a D&D campaign. Yeah. Uh, there's, an, there's an anime. There's a Dreamcast version. I think there's a PC Everybody of this. always was talking up Record of Lodos Wars back in the late 90s. Yeah, and, uh, it was an OVA with good animation, and we didn't get a lot of anything, yeah. really. So it was like, it wasn't the Blue Girl. It wasn't the Fatal Fury movie. 
whatever whatever is on your video video stores Japanimation uh, shelf, as they called it. Uh, yeah, so not a lot to say about that. It's out. Uh, I think Aeon, oh, sorry, that's Dy- Dynamic Designs that is the one who uh, did that one. And the last one, not, not a lot to say about this either. Just want to mention it. On January 4th, we had The Glory of Heracles 3 uh, for the SNES, and that's by DQ Translations. Uh, these games are super, super Dragon Quest likes. Uh, but which in is, ancient Greece. But in ancient Greece, that's true. And the reason I never played them was because of that. They just look like, oh, it's just a you know cash grab by this developer. But apparently this game has an amazing story, uh, this amazing mystery story, and it, it's what got the writer, who is uh, Nojima from Square, hired by Square, and he eventually did the uh, Final Fantasy VII story and, and others. So, Well, amazing in the kind of JRPG right. sense. Right. I did want to qualify that. I, I've not played this, and, and it could be cool. It could have cool, cool plot twists, but um, I, I can't tell you. I just know what, I, what I've heard it's from people. It's one of the more popular... Entries in the series. It's yeah. the one that's gotten the most releases in Japan. Oh, since. okay. Yeah, it's been released on the Virtual Console, I believe, in Japan. And so, also on uh, mobile phones. Okay, so yeah, give it a try. Let us know what it's like, if it's worth the hype. Um, I have not played it. I have not played the one game in the series that came out here. The even DS though I, game? I have a copy. I think 8.4 translated that, too, they if I remember. Did, yes. Yeah, I'm sure it's fun, but, you know, I, I like I like my Dragon Quest pure. So, uh, <laughs> no, no imitators need apply, except for Earthbound, probably. Okay. So, let's move on to Listener Mail. Basically, on Twitter and Facebook and our blog, I said, hey, I want to do a listener mail episode. We don't have a P.O. box yet because in order to get that, this is so boring. I have to get my license changed to update my new address, and I don't want to spend all day in a DMV just yet. So San Francisco, where they only have one DMV. Oh, and you have to probably get, like, a ticket and camp out. It's like it's like uh, getting uh, WrestleMania tickets or something, <laughs> getting my license updated. But, okay, enough of that. Uh, so basically, I asked you guys to uh, leave a comment on our blog. And we're going to answer your comments and questions. And if we didn't get to your question, we're really sorry. I had to be kind of selective. And a lot of you asked similar questions. And so I sort of picked the best version of that question. Uh, so don't hold it against us or uh, track us down and Take hurt us. Editorial license. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I am going to say names on this. Um, I might just give initials for last names. I, I don't know how this, how this could incriminate you in any way. But uh, just in case you're worried, I'll, I won't give full names. So let's move on to our first question. Trent asks... What anime games or any heavily anime-inspired games have you played over your gaming career? And of those, which was the best and which was the weirdest? Who would like to start with this one? I've played many. Cats. What uh, is the best anime-inspired game? The best anime-inspired game I've ever played is Gundam Extreme Versus. That is super anime-inspired. That yes, is super it's cat. A, yeah. It's a two-on-two fighting game that's extremely popular over in Asia. Mm. Uh, not just Japan, but Southeast Asia. I would say that in the competitive scene, it's right up there with Street Fighter and Tekken and that sort of thing. Mm. usually takes up an entire floor on a game center. It's extremely deep. Every robot is faithful to its depiction in the show, but 
the moves, the, uh, the, each one has a lot of different moves, and it's extremely well-balanced, and you have to be really, really good at it to play it, because the, the best players are usually Japanese high schoolers who will utterly destroy you hmm. when you're in Japan. But I, I heard they all have powers, at least yes, from the anime I've seen. Yes, they. Okay. most of them have powers. Okay. Um, a version came out on the PlayStation 3, a port, that was also very good. It had... The the online was iffy, and I wish I had better couch co-op, but the gameplay itself would, uh, appeared largely intact, and it makes me really sad that it was never released over here because it's much better than, say, Gundam Muso. A lot of things are. Yes. Certain kinds of uh, flu viruses are, I think. <laughs> Remember, Muso Ray. rhymes with Kuso. <laughs> What's up, Ray? How, how do you feel about this question? Well, I was wondering what Trent thinks anime inspired means. I mean, how he defines that, because like that's uh, half of the Japanese game industry. That is true. He's giving us a lot to choose from. Um, I could say Final Fantasy X or Y, and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean. Uh, I'm I'm thinking like uh, if you have something, go ahead. Uh, no, I mean I was just gonna go with easy answers. So uh, oh, like I, I had... started <laughs> like it, something based on an anime. I one of the first I played was Ranma One Half Hard Battle. Okay. On Super NES. And that sort of jump-started my interest in anime, although that didn't really take after a few years anyway. Mm. But, uh, I mean, that was an alright game. I mean, it's kind of not that great of a fighting game, but it looks good. <laughs> Somewhat faithful to the uh, characters and things. Right. More so um, than Street Combat. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. The, the mutilated version of yeah, it. Of course. <laughs> uh, the weirdest, I just played Oyaji Hunter Mahjong. It's uh, a <laughs> issue of Scroll, and that's pretty Mahjong cool. games are often kind of strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you read the issue, I go into it, but it's like, uh, it sort of pokes fun at regular Mahjong games, or like strip Mahjong games, which are, hmm. also have a bit of anime-inspired things to them, especially with the nipples. But, I mean, <laughs> um, this is just about you about a superhero called Oyaji Hunter, and he beats up these old creepy men, and they're really weird, over-the-top characters as well. And there there is there is actual anime scenes in them, directed by uh, one of the guys who did uh, was working on Macross. So it's just goofy stuff like that, but it is a normal Mahjong game otherwise. Not very remarkable, but definitely weird. So, yeah. yeah, by anime-inspired, I, I just took that to mean games that are designed to feel like an anime, like you're watching an anime so or something actually, like that. I do have another good example okay. of that is uh, Kendo Rage on Super Radio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very much in that. Isn't there, so, there a game called like Evil Zone or something as well that sure. does that yeah, for PlayStation yeah, One? Fighting game. Yeah, it's like they they have, there's there's like intros or like next week on blah 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 like things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's cool. Sakura Tyson. That's true. Which, we got we got the crappy became the crappy anime. one. Oh yeah, that's right. It was very much structured like an anime. It know? was yeah. episodes, um, that sort of things. So. I'd say even like Persona is really structured like an anime. Um, yeah. It, yeah, it's I missing think, like the bumpers. I think this and guy like kind that. of. Uh, spoiled that for everyone <laughs> yeah yeah things that are yeah have sort of like the anime style tv bumpers and eye catches and things yeah, yeah there's mm. a few examples of that right just in general I, I had some easy answers for this one sorry these aren't these aren't reaching very deep but uh like things like Mega Man legends i feel like are really anime like super miyazaki inspired oh, yeah. obviously yeah. things like that tail concerto like they have anime cutscenes. well Mega Man legends doesn't but it, they look like anime mm. the characters yeah of course um how about thousand arms Thousand Arms, yeah. Actually, I did enjoy Thousand Arms. Yeah. I probably w wouldn't enjoy it now because I'm not 16, yeah. but uh, right. yeah. So now that I've thought about it and got my memory jogged a bit more, like there is a lot more on PS1, especially, of that sort of aesthetic as well. Hmm. Uh, Jeremy, did you have anything for this one? I can't think of any actual games based on anime, 
that uh like you know directly licensed that were worth a crap i'm uh-huh, there's probably yeah. something obvious that i'm forgetting about but um definitely clash at demon head was kind of a revelation yeah. back in the day because it it just was so much built in that sort of 70s shonen anime style like you know a hero with a, a little scar in his face and spiky flowing hair uh trying to save the world against demons uh, the Japanese version of the game is called Dengeki Big Bang, and so far as I can tell, there's there's no such property besides the video game, but it just feels like something that was based on an anime. It does, and, yeah. Um, later on, uh, the Lunar games on Sega CD were definitely oh, yeah, yeah. like super duper anime inspired, all the way to having like songs and you know the the video cutscenes or like video ish cutscenes, I guess, on Sega CD. Not quite video, but close enough. Right. Um, yeah, so you know, there's some definitely some good ones that that help me kind of uh, take an interest in that sort of thing. And um, really, though, I would say by the time video games started coming to the U.S. without the anime licenses or anime influences filed off, uh, I was already pretty much into the the genre. Um, mm. So I was interested in things like Ranma One Half Hard Battle because I liked the Ranma anime and manga. Um, sure. So okay. I guess it was kind of a, uh, it it happened in tandem. It's all okay. because of Robotech. <laughs> but all the Robotech Ruinous games all. are terrible. Uh, there was a really good uh, side-scrolling shooter uh, based on Macross for the Super Nintendo, I think. Uh, yeah. Okay, I've not, I've, I've not played it. it I don't believe you. With, <laughs> it was released with the Blu-ray version of Do You Remember Love not too long ago. Okay, huh. So you can download it from the Japanese PSN store. So give that a try, guys, and tell us what you think. Let's move on to our next question. And we might not have an answer for this. I'm just curious. He says, uh, this is from Mega Matt. He says, hey, guys, I was wondering how you felt about video upscalers for processing classic video game consoles to HD. Before I continue with this question, does anyone know about this topic? I was just yeah. curious. I figured Ray would. <laughs> so he, uh, Matt goes on to say, I recently purchased an XRGB mini frame meister. Frame Meister, and I think it's amazing. Seriously, it's like magic. Playing Yoshi's Island in HD with scan lines really is a sight to behold. Every pixel perfectly square, clear, and sharp. Also, it's lightning fast, so it emulates input lag on an HD TV. I assume you could get similar results using a good emulator, but I just don't enjoy that experience unless it's something done right on a service like Virtual Console. And Mega Matt wants to know what are your thoughts, if any, on upscalers? Have any of you used or own one? I, Bob Mackie, do not. Ray, what's up? I think they're cool, but they're, it, the Frame Meister is three hundred plus dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking yeah. at it right now online, and it's three hundred ninety-two dollars. F Yikes. Uh, Good. Plus that, I mean, if you actually want to go ahead and use, like, you know, yeah, first you have to find an extra cable to adapt the uh, SCART RGB cable to that. If you really want the best of the best, and then you have to find uh, RGB cables for the systems you own, or make them yourselves in some cases. Yeah. You have to actually mod a, uh, an NES or a Famicom to actually accept an RGB signal. So there's that extra bit of uh, labor and, and time and dedication that, uh, frankly, I don't have. <laughs> but I certainly respect it. And I do, I do too. I just wish... Definitely, uh, yeah. Uh, Love it for sure. I, mean, I would say more than like, respect it, I envy it. But I have to yeah. settle for <laughs> playing really crisp-looking GBA games on GamePad. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. So yeah. And this is not to pick on Mega Matt. This is this is a different conversation altogether. But I feel I feel like, I don't know if you guys experience this, when people find out you're into retro games, they kind of expect you to have this kind of slavish devotion to purity. 
they expect you to have a huge collection yeah. and like I, I, that is not who that's not me I, I enjoy I enjoy the experience and I, I enjoy design but it doesn't Whatever have to be Mr. like aspect authentic. ratio yeah well right. that that is important but it's not like I have to be in a shag a room of shag carpeting with my grandma's cigarettes burning in the background and <laughs> <laughs> things yeah. like that you know what I mean yeah this is not a collector show and we do not spend time going over our recent finds and pickups. Uh-oh. It's like, I have, a, <laughs> I have a shitload of games to play as it is. Yeah. And uh, especially retro ones, uh, for sure, because there's tons of stuff that I missed over my entire uh, life. And this kind of touches on a question that's coming up later, I'm sure, but, like... <laughs> it's nice yeah. that it's so much easier to play retro games than it used to be. Yeah, I agree, totally. My whole angle is just from, you know, discovery and... The fact that, yes, there are a bunch of games available illegally that you can download them all, like, that's kind of great, because then, you know, I'll just play them on an emulator and sample them in the best way I possibly can without having to spend, you know, 300 plus dollars. And that's fine for me. I mean, that's kind of how I got here in the first yeah. place. I mean, I know people are like, uh, even on a PC, uh, Super Nintendo emulation isn't isn't perfect. I'm like, it's perfect enough for me to play, like, uh, Marvelous or something. I'm, I'm fine with it, you know? Yeah. I can be okay with that. Uh, so let's move on to the next question. Uh, Keeper13 asks, well, first he says, hey, Retronauts, you're one of the first things that got me into podcasts. Thank you for that. Hey, you're welcome, Sorry about Keeper13. Uh-oh. <laughs> We've led you down a dark road. <laughs> uh, so he wants to know, what are some of your favorite underrated licensed games? And I guess I'll go first. I had one in mind that I don't think anyone else is thinking of, and that's The Simpsons Hit and Run. It, uh, it's over a decade old now, so I, yeah, I think it's a Yeah, that was great. Game. I love that game. Yeah, and actually, it came out a year after Vice City, and it was a better Grand Theft Auto than Grand Theft Auto. I think San Andreas ended up being a better game than Simpsons Hit and Run, but, yeah, but I enjoyed all. Yeah, that was a year Is after. Is it the only good Simpsons game? Uh, arcade game, and this, and that's arcade it. Arcade game was not aged that well. It's still a good game for what it is. It's okay. one of the best of that kind of genre and that kind of time. A lot of bad Simpsons games. Yeah, there are. But this is a really good game. Um, there are a lot of BS missions. There are a lot of unfair parts, but it is like a perfect... And I, we had a Simpsons episode a long time ago, but it is a perfect love letter to everything in the show up to that point. The, the town is modeled. There are references everywhere. The characters... Like, it, it's it's a game for Simpsons fans. It's not just like, oh, I, I like The Simpsons. It's like, if you're like me and are obsessed with The Simpsons and know every episode backwards and forwards, this game is going to be really rewarding right. for you. And um, yeah, it's totally recommended. If you can find it, I'm sure it's super cheap, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, underrated is kind of a, was a loaded part of that question. Uh -oh. before, no, I mean, it's hard to figure out. I mean, uh, you know, speaking of GBA, people do talk up uh, Astro Boy. That's uh, true, GBA, yeah. Made by Treasure. Uh and speaking of Treasure, I would have liked them to make their uh, canceled Tiny Toons PS2 game, which was going to be based on their earlier PS1 game called Rakugaki Showtime. That's right. I forgot about that. Like this uh, sort of an arena fighter, but uh, pretty fun. But it would have been with Tiny Toons characters. <laughs> after, <laughs> yeah. Like a decade after the show went off the air right, uh, yeah. or more. That was the yeah, that's a thing. weird but, license. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I guess I was uh, just uh, obsessing too much on the word underrated. Okay. So, I mean, I couldn't figure out much. Uh, Kat, do you have anything for this one? Yeah, I do, actually. What is it? Um, more of a group of games, but the Star Trek Adventure games from the early 90s. Oh, so yeah. The 25th Anniversary, Judgment Rights, and Final Unity, which is a TNG game. It's a little different, but it was still an adventure game. Right. And the first two games look a bit like the LucasArts adventure games, but actually more attractive, I think. Um, and they had the original voice actors, if I recall correctly. Yeah, we actually played a CD clip version. of yeah, we played a clip of those on our on our sound voice acting episode. Uh, and twenty fifth anniversary and Judgment Rights both had excellent puzzles, really well designed levels, uh, very faithful to the original shows. 
And I, I think that they're actually very, quietly some of the best Star Trek games ever made. Mm. I, I haven't really played anything better than that. A Final Unity is structured like an actual TNG episode, like a Lost episode. Oh, cool. Complete with uh, the theme song. Like, they play the theme song and everything. They have a lot of uh, rendered clips of the Enterprise going into warp, and they're trying to kind of recapture that feeling of the show, which had just gone off off the air at the time and okay. also featured the original actors. And at the time, it was kind of considered a disappointment because it was being pitched by, I believe, Spectrum Holovite as this game where you could go anywhere in the Star Trek universe. And to an extent, that was true. You could go anywhere, but there just wasn't anything there. Just like a picture of a planet. We've crossed the neutral zone, Captain. Romulan Warbird attacking or something. Yeah, so, okay. Uh, but and, and the puzzles weren't quite up to par compared to 25th Anniversary and Judgment Rights. But when I was 10 years old, I really enjoyed it. Hmm. And it looked great. I don't know if there's a way to play that game. Uh, Are they on good old games? I know that they're probably not on Steam. Definitely not on good old games. Definitely oh, no. not on Steam. You'd have to look pretty hard. Just Hence, find some abandoned wear site or something, right. I guess. Hence underrated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeremy, anything for this one? Um, underrated. Yeah. So looking back at the NES, you know, Capcom's licensed games and Konami's were all pretty well regarded. But um, I think people tend to forget about Sunsoft's Batman, which was pretty damn good. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed it. it. And uh, go ahead. It was good. But I recently replayed it. And the platforming's really floaty. Hmm. And yeah, Batman did have a little bit of a, of a floaty feel to him. But, you know, that's that's a big games for you. Um, mm. More recently, I would say the uh, first 3DS Adventure Time game, Hey Ice King, Why'd You Steal Our Garbage, was oh, yeah. a spot-on uh, loving tribute to Zelda 2 that took away all the frustrating, stupid parts of Zelda 2 and added in a bunch of references to Adventure Time and was a very, very fun, if very short and pretty easy, considering it's a kid's game, uh, experience. Definitely something that any fan of uh, Zelda 2 should check out, just to see, like, what if Zelda 2 were made in modern times and didn't hate the player? Well, <laughs> that's Adventure Time. That's the game. I, I do need to play that game. I heard it's really good. Yeah, uh, it so actually let's... got me into the uh, to the cartoon, which turned out to be better than it should have been. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to the next question by Discord Incorporated. He wants to know, do you think any developer, regardless of their size, will ever give a game the equivalent of a criterion treatment to anything from their back catalog? Now, Why? we just sort of addressed this. Um, yes, ahead, it's Jeremy. funny you should ask, because in my virtual console article that I wrote just a couple of days ago, I referred to M2's uh, Sega Ages games for PlayStation 2. They did like five or six of them as the closest we'll ever see to a criterion treatment of video games. Yeah. And, and they I, took, I I, they took um, let's see, Fantasy Star, Fantasy Zone, Galaxy Force, some of the treasure games, Gunstar Heroes, and uh, Monster World, and did individual collections for each of those games. And they would have anywhere from like three to six games on them. But yeah. it would be every version of a particular game in question. So like on the, the Monster World Wonder Boy collection you had you know the original wonder boy like an arcade version a master system version a sega sg 1000 version i don't think that had the nes version but it was like every sega platform was represented um hmm. they had archival footage scans of you know uh developmental art and documents 
Um, you could play the games in every region version that was released. So if there was an English language version of, say, Fantasy Star, you could play the Fantasy Star games in English as well as in Japanese. Uh, for Fantasy Zone, they actually sort of created a game. I can't remember exactly what the details on that were, but they like um, took Fantasy Zone for Sega Master System Zone. I want to say Fantasy Zone 2. And created like a fake, oh, yeah, okay. okay, a fake arcade version of it. Um, yeah, yeah, got it. Like I think the, this... the amount of, of work they did on that, you know, it's not surprising that they put such loving care into their Game Gear and uh, Sega 3D Ages 3D games. Yeah, uh, because that's just what they do. And uh, those those compilations are like, I don't know, they were released at like thirty bucks, twenty five bucks each, twenty five hundred yen. So they were pretty inexpensive, but just mm-hmm. like the best treatment of those games that I've ever seen, and I've never seen compilations yeah. on, on par with those. They were just amazing. Well, I think uh, I think M2 releasing uh, Altered Beast for 3DS is sort of like Criterion releasing Armageddon on DVD. It's like, uh, <laughs> why did they work on this? Where, where was the, who, who is, who's the judges on this? Yeah, but uh, I, I think like, yeah, the, those PS2 uh, those PS2 compilations are the best example of a Criterion treatment. I don't think it will ever be at least maybe in my lifetime, it will, like games will be respected enough where this treatment will happen. But as of now, I don't think gaming culture respects history or respects anything that would merit uh, this sort of a re-release outside of very niche developers like M2 and things Cer- like that. Um, certainly not American game uh, no. audiences. Japanese, I think. There's yeah, more, yeah. more dedication there. We've already raged about this plenty, but I, I think part of the reason that there was a deep moan and frustration when Nintendo released its Mario collection uh, a few years back on the Wii yeah. was yeah. that uh, yeah. that was a real opportunity to do something special with Mario, and the fact that it was just some ROMs on a disc yeah. was so deeply... One ROM. One ROM. One ROM. It, was it could so, have been an $8 release on Virtual Console, but no. Yeah. So deeply... Ugh, bad. Yeah, it was disrespectful. Booklet, I know. I saw that booklet. I didn't like it. <laughs> I don't know about disrespectful. I think it's about as respectful as Nintendo can get about their past. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, to them, that was that was a top tier thing. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, nice box. Yeah, the the box was nice. Uh, I I don't want to stick on this too long, and I don't, I don't even know if I'm right, but I always think of like. Like, look at how long it took people to respect movies. Look at how many movies no longer exist because people did not respect the format. Games have to go through all of these growing pains. Games were basically 40 years old. We're going to get there at some point. I don't think it'll be within my lifetime, though. So that's my negative opinion on this situation. Yeah. Well, that was a downer. Yeah, sorry, guys. We're going to die with games being hated. So (laughs) look forward to that. Corey wants to know... uh, as we all know, a number of companies are producing and selling hardware system emulators like FC Twin, Retro Duo, and the not-yet-released Retron 5 on which to play our old console cartridges. We can also buy flashcards to load up with ROMs and play all the games we've never paid for on our old systems, if it's still operational. And Corey wants to know, have any of you tried these new technologies, and if so, what do you think of them? Um, I've only tried the Retro... Sorry, the Retro Duo? Sorry, the Retron 5 at... Uh, at E3, I think it was. No, it was and, uh, Portland. Portland, or okay, Seattle, yeah. sorry, Seattle Retro Games. One of those, yeah, yeah. I, I liked it, but at the same time, I do everything through my PC that's hooked up to my TV, so I feel like I don't have enough space to buy cartridges for these things. And for me, it's not 
it's not a good a good way to go about emulating. Um, how about you guys? Right. I mean, kind of tied into the previous questions. Like, uh, I do like the idea of the flashcards. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's cool that people make those, uh, and you can just stick in an SD card, and boom, you have all your Game Boy games on one little Game Boy cartridge. However, it's like for me, I'm just like, well, I already have them all on the computer anyway. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd use them for more research purposes than anything. I don't necessarily need the feel of the. The, the tactile feel of holding a Game Boy and playing it. And either way, I mean, having a cartridge with every game on it doesn't really make it any more legitimate to me than just having a ROM collection on the computer. Hmm. It's almost as cheap, really. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But I do like the technology, for sure. There's a certain charm to having like a collection of games and... I wouldn't mind honestly buying the 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 NES that was released by the people who did the wood grained Neo Geo. Oh yeah, it's pretty classy. Uh, it looked pretty great uh, for several hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I have quite a large number of consoles in my house at this point, and the collection would take up a lot of space. And a lot of I have my memories to mm-hmm. a great extent, and I like to revisit these games a lot of the time, not necessarily for nostalgia's sake as much as they're just darn good games still, and I still like to play them, and I'm okay with playing them on emulation on my Wii U gamepad yeah. or on my 3DS. Jeremy, have you, how do you feel about these? I'm, I'm kind of torn. I mean, um, honestly, just for the sake of pure pragmatism... I would be happy to have every video game I've ever wanted to play on 3DS Virtual Console and just carry it around on a single system. But uh, last year, I, you know, I said, well, not every game that I want to play is going to make it to Virtual Console because of licensing or because of ownership issues or just because people don't give a crap. So I started buying, um, you know, old NES and Super NES games or Famicom games, Super Famicom games also that I just know aren't going to make it to Virtual Console, things that are licensed or whatever. And I'm waiting on the Retron 5, but in the meantime, I picked up a couple of uh, handheld systems, like the clone systems. So I have uh, the FC-88, which is a Famicom clone that uh, has a little, you know, portable screen and also has like 88 terrible games built into it. And I also picked up, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a Super Famicom emulator that also plays Super NES games. Um, And like... I don't know. I like them, and there's definitely something appealing about playing these games off the original cartridges. And for the most part, they're pretty accurate. I mean, the um, the the store that was selling the Super Famicom clone actually had it in a display window with uh, the system plugged into speakers, so you could hear how accurately it uh, rendered Final Fantasy VI's soundtrack. So I thought that was a pretty nice little touch, and that's kind of what sold me on it. Hmm. But the I don't know, like they just don't quite feel right. Um, everything's a little bit off. Uh, the screen resolution isn't quite right, and the buttons and the controller doesn't feel quite right. It's just not quite good enough. So I sat down with the FC88 recently with a cartridge of the Goonies that I picked up in Japan to play through that and do an anatomy of the game series on, on the Goonies. But after about one entry, uh, I switched over to just playing the game on a hacked PSP, uh, playing a ROM, because it was more convenient and actually a more, despite the fact that it's not playing off a cartridge, a more accurate simulation of the game. Mm. So uh, it, it breaks my heart. I want these things to be accurate. I want them to be as good as they should be, and they never quite are, so I do tend to fall back on emulation. But it's not for you know, 
uh, like I'm too cheap to buy the games or like I think my video game should be free or anything like that. Like I'm, I'm happy to buy games. I have a bunch of cartridges that I bought in the past year so that I can play them, but I don't have a way of playing the cartridges that's really as satisfying as just playing it on an emulator, which I don't know. It feels like that feels wrong, but that's how it is. <laughs> yes, uh, I totally agree. I, I'm, I'm more for the utilitarian or more practical choice, the one that makes the most sense, not the most authentic, I guess. I'm, I'm holding uh, out hope for the Retron 5. I'm, I'm hoping that all the delays mean that they're really like just trying to make it as good as possible. That may not be yeah. the case, but I've got my fingers crossed. Yeah, if, if I was the type of person who would want it, I'd probably get it, but I have other solutions. Red so, Red Fine is, yeah, yeah. Fine is very weird, though. It's oh. basically just an Android OS. Oh, weird, okay. Games, huh. like an emulator oh, yeah? Thing. yeah. <laughs> weird. Okay, so let's uh, keep going here. Uh, so Nobody78 asks, I'd like to hear some thoughts on the history of the boss. When do boss fights improve a game? When do they not? And what are some of the really creative bosses you've encountered, maybe off the beaten trail? Hey, Ray, let's start with you. Oh, How does Ray feel about the... Uh, let's go to Cat. <laughs> How do you feel about the, the boss, Cat? The idea of the boss. It's still a thing that we experience. I've just been playing Dark Souls 2, and yeah. there are a ton of bosses in that game, and they're, they're probably re- the best part of the game. Done really well. Mm-hmm. It can be an incredibly memorable encounter that really makes a game. And when you think about Metal Gear, uh, half of our great memories of that game are just how fantastic each of the bosses are, and that's because real care is often put into them. Right. Those are like little games in and of themselves, fighting the boss. Mm-hmm. A really well-done boss is one that forces you to truly understand the game to continue playing, mm-hmm. um, where you can't just hammer through them, where it's not just rote memorization. You have to understand the game's mechanics to beat them. It's like a test. And some games do that really well. Actually, I thought Lightning Returns had some pretty good bosses. Um, But a lot of games also have extremely repetitive bosses that keep appearing over and over again, and that gets... Or that get reused several times as enemies uh, yeah. or whatever. I can tell you Platinum is the worst. Any Platinum game, yeah. I, like, I feel like you can cut those games in half and they'd be just as good, but it's like they want you to fight the same bosses over and over and over again. I, um, I don't have a yeah. really creative boss off the beaten trail, but I can tell you that the bosses that I do hate are usually the set-piece bosses where they're really yeah. big. And it feels kind of gimmicky. Like and the just... Mass Effect uh, giant Terminator guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Exactly. That's not or... even that's not even really one of those set pieces. Are you talking more like a QTE God of War, Castlevania Something Lord like of that. Shadow yeah, kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. I don't like fighting bosses that are thirty times my size. I okay. actually prefer one on one duels. I think that those tend to, or, where it's just one person versus you. And Dark Souls does that to some extent. They have both kinds, but any game where I feel like we're on the same level and it's a test of pure skill is my kind of game. So do you not like Shadow of the Colossus? Shadow of the Colossus obviously is one extended boss rush, but yeah. each of the bosses were so clever. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, I could go on all day about yeah. Shadow of the Colossus. I, I just played it. It's still great. Uh, Jeremy, how do you feel about bosses? Um, I think they're a good idea, but that... Uh, you know, also at the same time, people get kind of lazy about them and mm. are like, well, I just have to put some bosses in here. Uh, the Zelda games have gotten really bad about this. Yeah, um, yeah. Where it's like, hey, you just got a tool in this dungeon. Guess what? Use this tool to expose a boss's weak point. 
three times, and each time you expose it, you hammer on it with your sword. Repeat. And you fought that boss for the past 20 years, so you know what to do. Yeah. No, a, a really great boss is, like Kat said, one that really puts the mechanics and conventions of a game to the test and, and requires mastery. Um, and again, like she said, Metal Gear is, is really up at the top. Metal Gear Solid 3. Oh, yeah. Um, it's yeah. hard to beat Ooh. the bosses in that game, including the boss, because, you know, your, your encounter with the boss at the end of the game is basically saying, how well do you understand camouflage? How well do you understand stealth? How well do you understand CQC? And if you know those things, yeah. then you, you'll come out ahead. But otherwise, it's a really tough fight. The battle with the end is kind oh, of God. my, uh, I wouldn't say my ideal boss fight, but it's getting up there. Like the idea of a boss fight that is something more than just fighting someone in a room mm -hmm. where it's something that can roam. You know, Metroid almost got there with, with SAX, <clears throat> with you know with you being stalked throughout the game right. but all of those were just kind of you know scripted events and there was no way you could beat the sax until the very end yeah. and that that final battle was actually kind of crappy but but the concept there like of being stalked or playing cat and mouse with a boss throughout a game that's something i'd really like to see more of and yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's, 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 that's a big reason i loved the end so much i mean you can just run up to him and shotgun and shotgun him in the face but uh, that doesn't feel satisfying when yeah. I when I played Metal Gear Solid Three for the first time, I spent about two hours uh, fighting that one boss battle, and it was amazing. It was so good because I really felt like, you know, he would get the jump on me, then I would get the jump on him, and it was this back and forth, and really, uh, you know, put all the game mechanics to 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 use, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love that. If you wait long enough, you'll <laughs> die of old age. It's the cheat. Yeah, that's the one cheat. Uh, <laughs> I haven't chimed in yet. I will say, I think the end is my favorite boss. I don't want all bosses to be like the end, but I think that's why the end is so great because it is just like, and the game is now 10 years old and I and I didn't play it recently, Dear but God. I feel like the end boss, um, it probably still holds up today. I didn't, oh, yeah. I didn't play it too long ago and uh, I just, I love it so much. I feel like Kojima should have dropped the mic after that game because he's really only embarrassed himself since uh, uh, yeah. Snake Eater, I guess. I Peace I Walker know. was good. I love Peace Walker. Yeah, I think yeah. Peace Walker's really yeah, underrated. Yeah, the, the but, boss um, fights in Metal Gear Solid 4 were, were poop. They were just Oh, they're terrible. awful. Yeah, I, I haven't played that one. Like, oh, here's, a, it, here's, here's a really crappy rendition of a boss that we fought in Metal Gear Solid 1. Don't you love it? Yeah. Yeah, there are some bosses where I just didn't even understand the gimmick in MGS4, and I just kind of brute forced my way through it, and it felt yeah. awful. Yeah. Gross. I, I, I was kind of saying that I don't like 30-foot-tall set-piece bosses, but... I did really like fighting the Metal Gear Rex and Metal Gear Solid uh, at the time. Yeah. That was an amazing experience. It wasn't something that I had ever really had in a video game. Uh, just this sense of it's a one-on-one -on -one duel against a thing that is so big and so powerful, um, but it, in a weird way, we're equals. It's yeah. uh, an asymmetric battle. It, it was great. It it. <laughs> It prefigured Titanfall 15 years ago. <laughs> I guess it did. Wow. Uh, one last thing is... Sure. Some genres just don't do well boss battles well, and I think Mario is an example. Platformers hmm. really struggle with boss battles. Uh, in the case the, of the 3D Mario Yoshi's games New have Island. some really good bo boss battles. Uh, Mario 3D World had some really good boss battles. It did, yeah. I like those. Mario but Galaxy Yoshi's, had some great boss battles. But Yoshi's New Island had some awful bo boss battles, well, in my opinion. I don't even care for Yoshi's New Island at all. So. Yeah, neither did I. And Yoshi's Island 1, those are some amazing bosses, too. Just, like, everyone was, like, a different, like, effects gimmick, kind of. But how do you do a good boss in platformers? Because so many of them are boiled down to jump on his head three times. 
that's a question for another day. Exactly. <laughs> we do have to move on. I, I do like that question, though. That's something to think about. So, uh, Rob wants to know, he says, Hello! So you guys don't Hello. seem to talk too often about the Nintendo 64, and when you do, it is usually some form of smack talk. Do we? Is this, uh, is this a thing? I, I don't know, but Rob is noticing it. Like the relatively crappy 3D visuals, Rob says. Despite this, it seemed to be a pretty successful console and had a decent number of excellent games. Uh, Ray is giving the Sonic the Hedgehog finger wave over here. <laughs> so why the dislike? I'm sure a lot of listeners have fond memories of N64 games, and it would be cool to hear some discussions on those games, particularly the lesser-known gems. Um, I will say one of my favorite games, maybe my favorite game, is on the N64, and that's Majora's Mask, but it looks like a pile of butt. Star Fox 64 still looks phenomenal. It does look good. But, um, Ray? But we accept that. We the do. The whole thing is that we we poke fun at that thing, but we still like video games, right? Yeah. And we can appreciate how they play. And I think even I Rob, think yeah. It's, I, it's not very fair to say that we, oh, we just hate something because we poke at fun at one little thing. Yeah. I think that's honestly why people think we hate Sega stuff so much because we <laughs> make fun of Genesis Sound or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. Hey, there's still good games on it and we'll right. still play them. It has nothing to do about one specific aesthetic thing. And uh, I think... You know, the, yes, there are some classic N64 games, and we do have uh, lots of fond memories of them, for sure. Yeah. I don't think it's, like <laughs> it's two, really fair to think, oh, those guys fucking hate it. Unsubscribe. Yeah. Two of the most important games in history of gaming were on N64. Mario yeah. 64 and Zelda, Ocarina of Time. I mean, like, it is a imp- really important console in the history of gaming. Jeremy, any thoughts on this? I mean, I I don't know. I guess maybe it's my fault that he's thinking this, because I, I do come down pretty hard on n64 and you know okay haha the graphics are blurry they look gross whatever but you know my my bigger issue with it is what it sort of represented in the grand scheme of nintendo's business Um, yeah yeah they they really kind of lost the plot with with n64 and a lot of the mistakes that they've made through the years all kind of came together uh in the n64 and just really showed a company out of touch with time and the business and the progression of the industry and you know they recovered because that's what nintendo does they they kind of ebb and flow um and there were some great games on n64 but for me n64 was where i said i don't know if i can just own a nintendo system anymore that that was fine for nes and super nes but Mm -hmm. i need to own a playstation because i got to get my mainline fixed and there's just not enough happening here i think it was turok that did it yeah (laughs) turok ruined a lot of people I think a lot of us were older when the N64 came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was a teen. There are a lot of adults now who grew up with the N64, who played it when they were young kids. The Nintendo 64 kid is old enough to... To vote, to drink, to be, yeah. He tried as an adult. You know, when you play a game as a kid, obviously you're going to have a lot of nostalgic memories for Mm -hmm. it. Um, Personally... I was a Nintendo kid. I loved the Super Nintendo, and I was very much on board with the N64. And then, at some point, I just had to accept as a gamer that if I really wanted to be in the in the gaming space, I had to get a PlayStation. Yeah, same and here. I did, and I never looked back. And I had a yeah. friend who was in deep N64 denial, and it was hard to, look, to live with those people <laughs> because they were just like, Mario Kart will help us three more months, three more months. Uh, Jeremy, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think Kat has a really good point there. And, yeah. you know, your age does have a big impact on it. And, you know, I grew up as a kid playing NES games and loved those games and that aesthetic. But I'm sure that someone who grew up years before or years later is like, what the hell is wrong with this? It's terrible. And, you know, fair enough. But for me, N64 was the point at which 
it came out right around the time I started having actual jobs and could afford more than one system. So not only did I, you know, so not only could I not just get by with N64 games, I had the option of picking up a PlayStation, of picking up a Saturn, of picking up a Neo Geo Pocket Color, like, you know, getting all these different systems, a Dreamcast, you know, and and really enriching my experiences and, and broadening out. Um, so... I don't know, maybe my complaints about N64 are in some way uh, a revolt against my own previous myopia and uh, video game poverty because, you know, I'm reacting to to being such a shut-in, only playing <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> systems. I don't know. We are all at know. war with ourselves, Jeremy. Yes. That's one thing we all have Man in Man versus himself. It's one of the great literary forms. Yes. Uh, right. Uh, I think one last thing for me is that based on what Jeremy was saying, I, part two of my response would be also uh, don't attribute what one person says on Retronauts to the entire group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, see also the prep episode. Yeah. It's a, and also, <laughs> also it's okay to disagree with people like we've said and yeah. still be friends and yeah. still think we're okay people. So let's move on. We, Wrong. This is the internet. Oh. oh, that's true. We, you were condemned with one statement. God, I hate you, Bob. Ah. move on uh we were running kind of long and we're not gonna get through all the questions there are a few i did want to take on first and especially this one because i have an answer if you guys will it's okay for me to go first with this because i have a big rant to deliver and okay. hopefully oh we, we can clear, we let's, let's clear the runway for this big rant so uh john learned yeah john learned asks i'm interested in your thoughts on playstation services like playstation now and other cloud programs i'm sure you're interested in it but are you more in favor of the buffet like PS Now versus something like console emulation, which Sony is supposedly dabbling in? Personally, I have no idea how it can work for games that rely on network play like Third Strike Online. But if I'm being honest with myself, an all-streaming future seems imminent to me, especially for keeping older games relevant. Agree, disagree. Here's what I'm going to say. A while ago, I thought this was a good idea. Streaming games online, I think it's it's definitely going to be the future, you know, streaming things, uh, because... You're, you're taking a lot of uh, responsibility off the consumer. They can have a smaller box that's cheaper, and you can do all the processing, you know, in outer space or wherever the hell it happens, basically. Here's my problem. Since they've started, streaming video services have only gotten worse. And there was a time in Netflix, uh, Netflix streaming, where you could be like, I want to see all the horror movies from A to Z. Click on horror. There they are. All the horror movies from A to Z. All the comedy movies from A to Z. You can look at everything in their catalog. Now, the, the new way of doing things is we're going to give you five slowly moving rows of objects so you can only know if something is there if you're looking for it. And, and the exact same thing with uh, Sony's online store, to not to, to take this away from Netflix alone. Sony, PSN through the PS3 is the worst interface I've ever used in my entire... I don't even know how it's legal to, to provide the service <laughs> to people. It's so bad. Like, you can't just say, I want to see what PS1 games are available. I want to see what PS2 games are available. No, you have to look by name for everything you're looking for if it's not up front. And I feel like that kind of attempt to um, 
to sort of uh, prevent the user from you know using more bandwidth than you want them to use is going to ruin services like this, where you're only going to have like maybe a rotation of five popular games or something like that, or maybe only the popular games. So you can play Croc, Legend of the Gobbos, or Spyro, or like or like Jet Moto or something like that, but you're not going to be able to play Tomba or something more obscure. I'm running out of uh, air. Someone please help me. Or worse, <laughs> you're going to have like what it is with Netflix and HBO Go and all that, where you have five or six different services. Yes, that you yes. you have to have all of them to be comprehensive. Yes, and if I might add one thing, and I feel like uh, input lag has already made a lot of games unplayable, and it's only going to get worse with services like this. As good as they're going to get, you'll never be able to play a rhythm game on these. You'll never be able to play, like, um, God, like, fighting games are going to be very difficult on this, like uh, John Lerner pointed out. I, I mean, I want this to be the future of the happy future. Fiber optics, we're all on the Matrix downloading Mario 2 in our brains, but I feel like... Like, speaking from a consumer point of view, things are only getting worse for the consumer in terms of streaming, uh, at least, you know, the the interface we're, we're being forced to use. I don't, Ray, how do you feel about this? No, you're right. It's really being brute forced. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> the infrastructure is not ready for it at all. Uh, so, yeah, I think everything you said is right. I also have a problem with just, like, the selection. Um, like, for some reason, when PlayStation Now was first, like, making a big splash everybody was thinking that a lot more games would be available like retro games like every ps1 game would be available it's like no yeah it's not really going to change anything because the selection is not that great uh to begin with i mean it's not like every ps1 game is on psn for now and i don't think uh, that will ever really change because there's still all that licensing well I, I think right. i think um people thought that because so, of some comments mark cerny made i think he made some statements that sounded a lot more optimistic than uh reality he is did going promise to the uphold. world yeah 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 right. well either way yeah that whole thing was very strange but i think like strange i don't think sony even wants you to know they're releasing ps1 and ps2 games because you have to there's no there used to be yeah. a, a filter on their store to find those but now that's gone i just feel like uh, it just it makes me upset that like these these just buried. these services yeah. are getting worse for yeah. people um that's my that's my uh, consumer reports for today <laughs> uh, yeah so... i mean it's it's like a lot of technological services online services um you know, iOS and mobile phones really changed the way people think about interfaces and made people realize, hey, simplifying things is really appealing to large audiences. But without the discipline to understand what good user design is, good user interface design is, and, uh, you know, usability and things like that, we just get a lot of really streamlined interfaces that are also pretty much unusable because they don't give you enough information or because they categorize things badly they're just poorly organized you know there there are a lot of problems that come with amateurs trying to mimic something that's extremely popular and done well without really understanding why it's done well and you know that's hardly unique to uh user interface design but it's definitely something that we're seeing a lot of just all over the place and even even as uh as ios has become more complex uh, it's become harder to use in a lot of ways because it's trying to do too much with too little front end. Yeah, so, yeah um, definitely. So, you know, the problem you're talking about is not unique to cloud computing and cloud services. Um, it's just kind of computer interfaces in general. And I'm sure we're going to see pushback against that. Um, you know, we started to see Apple move away from skeuomorphic design with iOS 7 and get back to something that's a little more usable and actually speaks to what you're doing on the computer as opposed to, here's a little calendar. Isn't that cute? It's like a little <laughs> desk calendar on your computer. Um, so so I don't think that's going to be a permanent problem. I think 
you know, there's there's going to be a revolution at some point where people suddenly understand, oh, hey, maybe I should actually make this cute, usable interface actually usable. It should actually be user friendly. How about that? Yeah. You know, that'll yeah. happen at some point. I don't, but, but I, you know, the big problem with cloud computing right now is that the infrastructure, as you said, is not in place for it. And this has really, really come to dominate my attention since I moved away from San Francisco and uh, no longer have access to Comcast cable and internet, which I used to think, wow, this is really crappy. But now I'm on Time <laughs> Warner and it turns out that it's so much worse. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, like at least in the U.S., the infrastructure is so old and so out of date, and providers have no real incentive to make it better. In fact, it's kind of a disincentive because if they make it better, then people are going to use more bandwidth, and that's going to be more expensive for them. But people don't want to pay more for their subscriptions, so let's just keep everything crappy. So you know, the rest of the world is going to leapfrog us. South Korea's got amazing bandwidth. <laughs> like Singapore makes us look pathetic. But we're, we're, we're well on our way to go back to being a developing country, I think. But, yeah, that's uh, great. Uh, yeah, different you know, different podcasts. Manufacturing entirely. industries have moved back to America because it's cheaper here than in China. So, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, okay. we're back to uh, developing nation status for sure. Yay. Woo. All right, guys, we have like uh, we're a little over on time. I'd like to go over the, some questions over the next five minutes. We're going to do a lightning round where I will go in a circle and we will give our answers and I will go last. And uh, Jeremy, you'll go after Kat. So it'll be uh, Ray, Kat. Jeremy, then me. Just give her quick answers for these questions. So lightning round time. All right. uh, ready? Let's go. Econ Mara asks, what podcast do you listen to? Ray. Oh, <laughs> or just give maybe like three recommendations because I, I listen to like 26 podcasts. Yeah, so, uh, think, honestly, you and I are the only ones who do. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Never Not Funny, Harmontown, uh, A4 Play. Sweet. I guess they don't have to be video game related. Cat, podcast time. This American Life, BS Report, Real Time with Bill Maher. Jeremy, do you listen to podcasts? Uh, when I edit episodes of Retronauts, I listen to Retronauts. That's a good recommendation. <laughs> Sorry, I I just, I'm, I'm not a podcast person. It's cool. I listen to tw about 26 podcasts, I think my podcast Damn. player tells I mean, me. So you make it up for me. For I, I, I review video games for a living, so uh, <laughs> I, I almost never listen to game audio unless I, I, I feel it necessary. So uh, anything on Earwolf, I listen to a lot of bad movie podcasts like We Hate Movies, The Flophouse, um, God, I'm, try I'm trying to think. Yeah, that those are my recommendations. So look those up if you're interested in podcasts and, and, and humor. Uh, so Ian D asks, does anyone have a favorite pinball machine? Uh, and Ray, how about you? Nope. Cat <laughs> pinball. I like pinball. Okay. Uh, Nintendo pinball or? <laughs> I mean, I used to play the Windows 95 pinball a okay. lot. Okay, that doesn't count. Jeremy, pinball <laughs> machine. and the Gators. Okay. I'm going to say I love the Twilight Zone, uh, Adam's Family Pinball. And Adam's I, Family is great. Yes. And I do like the Simpsons Pinball, but I never played the new one. I only played the one from 1990 by Data East. So, yes. Uh, I'll answer this next question. Nick asks, are you guys ever going to do real uh, letters again with envelope art and all? Yes. This is me speaking. As soon as I can get to the DMV and stop being lazy, we will have a P.O. box at some point. So that will happen relatively soon. Uh, Gavin asks, not to be a neg uh, fountain of negativity, but what would ye say are the lowest points in the industry's history? Wow, what a question. Ray, I'm sorry to make you go first on this one. I'm just curious. Uh, laser discs. Laser discs, wow, okay. Uh, skip me. Skip, uh, skip me, uh, Jeremy. The utter cluster foul up of uh, early 90s competing game standards, CDO, CDI, 3DO, Jaguar, 
Super NES, Super or Sega CD, like just so many different standards all at once. It was a disaster. And guess what? It's kind of like it is now. Yeah. I'm going to say the post-GTA like chasm of games that basically just tried to imitate GTA without really understanding it for maybe five or six years. Oh, yeah. That was a really ugly time. Like uh, yeah, like early the early 2000s were like a pretty hideous time for games, I think. The uh, period between 2005 and 2007 was a bit of a dark age as everybody gra- grappled with horrible DLC uh, approaches. Yeah. And uh, the games still looked really bad and were still kind of archaic. And we were a ways off from really understanding all the things that we could do with this generation and in and Xbox Live when we had like what 50 50 meg limits to yeah, Xbox that's right. Live games and then like Castlevania broke that barrier something like that yeah. maybe it wasn't Castlevania but god yeah, all was. right oh it was okay cool so Matt R wants to know what retro games are in your two playlists ray i sort of answered that before it's like too many okay um, too many all of them i like games yeah cat Earthbound. Earthbound? Yeah. What so, the? Oh, my God. It's on my Wii U. Okay, play that game. Well, mm-hmm. okay, can I... I did not own a Super Nintendo during its heyday, and by the time I did get a Super Nintendo, Earthbound was extremely rare. You can steal it from the internet. Lots of people have. I have it on my Wii U now. Okay, Jeremy. Um, kind of like Ray, all of them, especially... All of the games. ...game systems that are sort of deprecated or less familiar in America. Like, it kills me that I don't know... Um, Things like the Spectrum or the X68000. Like, I'd, I'd love to play those games and really just get into those libraries. In the short term, the near term, um, the Game Boy library is something that I'm really delving into to, you know, get down to the, the, the roots of it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm going to say I want to play the Wonder Project J games. Uh, they're next on my list, I think. Oh, sure. And I want to try some more Japanese adventure games because I haven't played a lot of those outside of uh, anything that happened after Phoenix Wright. And I feel like I missed something there, uh, like... I know it's extremely old, but I want, I want to play Portopia Serial Murder Case just to see where all this came from. And uh, yeah, so that's my answer. Uh, let's do one more question. i got to pick a good one here. Um, so Jonathan D. asks, and this is a question to make us feel old, I guess. I've always wondered this. Do you think that modern consoles slash games will ever be held in the same regard as retro consoles slash games? That is to say, do you think the PS2 or even 3 will be looked back at like we do the SNES? And if not, why? Um... What do you think about this, right? Yes, they already are. <laughs> Everybody still talks of the PS2. Uh, I mean, for good reason. It had an amazing library. It was like the best-selling console ever. So yeah, yeah. Obviously, people are going to really have some good memories about that. And I will do that. Yeah. And I think the same will happen with the PS3 because, I mean, sure, PS3 started out really weak, but, I mean, by now it's, you know, it's pretty comparable, I think. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, of course, people get older and new generations come in and we all have our own memories for things, so, of course... Mm-hmm. Uh, counterpoint to that is that the Wii would seem to be the natural successor to say the N sixty four or the Super Nintendo is like that game that every kid owned, but yeah, its, yeah. Na- its library isn't really strong enough in, hmm. in some ways. I mean, it had Mario Galaxy, it had Xenoblade Chronicles. There's another question in the mailbag that was asking, "What game do you play despite the system?" And for me, that was like La- um, Xenoblade Chronicles because yeah, yeah. I really don't like the Wii. Um, as for the as as for the current or the the most recent generation, the PS3, yes, because it does have a pretty strong library. Xbox 360, no, because I think Microsoft systems tend to be pretty disposable. And I don't I, think that uh, really I matters. Uh, and in it, the it, sense that I'm going to, I personally will be selling my 360 and keeping my PS3 because mm. 
uh, they're very much at the moment. I think in the future people will be like, what, Microsoft made game consoles? That's weird. Why, when did they ever do that? Jeremy, Maybe. <laughs> go ahead. Um, I think kind of uh, shades of what Bob and Kat said, or sorry, Ray and Kat said. Um, you know, people are going to look back and remember video games fondly. I think people who are going to have the nostalgia that we've talked about, like for N64 games, or the way we talk about NES, Super NES games, you know, like those are the games we grew up with. They're not going to focus as much on Xbox 360 and PS3 because those libraries tend to skew older, which is something that wasn't true of older systems. Um, I think Wii is, you know, probably going to be regarded pretty well because everyone had one. But actually, I think you're going to see a lot of people, a lot of, you know, like kids now, 20-somethings in 10 years, uh, look back fondly on the DS and the 3DS because, uh, you know, those yeah. are the game consoles that every kid has with them all the time. Or, you know, even more recently, iOS. Like, they're going to look back at their iPhone games and think, oh, I remember... Candy Crush Saga or whatever. I remember when oh I God, no. when I when I racked up two hundred dollars worth of microtransactions and my parents grounded me for a month. Those were good times. Wow. Uh, I, I, I think the like, the handheld mobile games are probably more likely to have that sort of blush of nostalgia attached to them than uh, than consoles, just because of the the way the the market skewed. Right. Well, thanks everybody for writing in. We're sorry if we didn't get to all the questions. I think we got to maybe a third of them because I think we just all had so many, so much to say about them. But I did look at all of them and I did like them and I do appreciate anyone who wrote in a question. So maybe next time we do an episode, you'll get yours answered if you didn't. So before we go today, I did want to announce one thing. We're gonna have a contest for you guys and you can win some amazing prizes. So here is how to enter. And this is a way for us to get a little more, a uh, little more listeners. And basically we want you to write a review for us in the iTunes Music Store. That's that's how you enter this contest. Write a review for us in the iTunes Music Store. Be honest, uh, give us as many stars as you want, say whatever you want. If you don't like us, I don't know why you're entering a contest for uh, some of our merchandise, but uh, you can still enter. Um, so basically, write a review in the iTunes Music Store and use the word Fandango somewhere in the text so I know that you are entering the contest and not just some random person who likes us because screw those people. We want contest winners uh, to enter our contest, not just randos. And uh, please get your review written by May 14th at 11.59 p.m. And that's a week from when this show Pacific. will launch. Pacific. Pacific. I will cut you <laughs> off at the knees, people. And the grand prize winner gets a t-shirt and their choice of a topic turned into a Retronauts episode. And two runners-up will also get a t-shirt, but they won't get their episode made. So wow. that's, that's a actually, great prize. That's pretty good, yeah. That's like choosing your own topic. I mean, people yeah. have on Kickstarter now. Here's an extra chance to do that. And that's a $150 value, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think yeah. so. So so basically, uh, write a review in our, in our iTunes Music Store. Not our iTunes Music Store. The iTunes Music Store. Uh, make sure it includes the word Fandango and do it before May 14th. Just And write a real review. I mean, we want to know what you think about the show. So you can make a joke if you want, but I, I honestly want to know what you think. And this is to motivate you guys to write reviews. And it's also so we can get a... Uh, I want to get in the top 10 again. I think we can do it. Yeah. So yes, if you want to if you want to win a t-shirt, if you want to win an episode, uh, just please enter before uh, May 14th at 11.59 p.m. and use the word Fandango in your review. And good luck. And we'll remind you on social media networks and our blog and everything like that. Whew, okay, now we can finally end this episode. This is running super long. So to wrap up, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, Twitch.tv, and everything else as Retronauts. Come to our blog, uh, retronauts.com. They'll tell you everything this episode was about, include links to relevant information, tell you what music we use, all that good stuff, and you can leave comments about how uh, which one of us you like the most, but don't do that. We will, we will hate you, and it, secretly it is Cat. We all know. And uh, please keep the reviews coming and enter our contest because you want to win the t-shirt and you want to win... Uh, 
your topic to be made into an episode, if that sentence made any sense. Uh, so, contact info, I am Bob Servo, find me at US Gamer Something Awful, and elsewhere, Ray. I'm on Twitter, R-D-B-A-A-A. I still have my magazine, scroll, scroll.bg. What about that? Uh, the new bundle? Can you talk about that? Or is it going to be still up? Yeah, this is this is next week. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yes. So uh, yeah, if you go to storybundle.com, you can get every single issue of Scroll uh, as part of a pay what you want bundle with a lot of other great video game books in it. It's an amazing deal. Probably will not happen for quite some time again. So <laughs> get uh, this. jump on that. Run yeah. Still. Scroll is an amazing magazine. Yeah. Yeah. It's until April twenty third or so, basically. You know rest of the month. And how do they find that storybundle.com? Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, I bought it and the what comes in that package is amazing and well worth the, the amount I I'm paid totally for it. I'm buying it now that I know about it. Oh, cool. You should, Kat. Uh, Kat? You can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. I'm also a regular on the Press Row Sports Podcast where I talk about sports games. If you happen to be a retro fan and a sports fan and you like, say, Madden 95 or whatever, we're right up your alley. Uh, Jeremy? Uh, yeah, I'm GameSpite on Twitter. I work at US Gamer. I contribute to Retro Magazine occasionally. Um, I have a blog called Anatomy of Games where I dissect old video games. And I'm also starting up a little side project that uh, is going to be a long-term effort called GameboyWorld.com where wow. I'm actually... It's just one of those cron gaming kind of things where I'm going through the catalog. Uh, I don't know exactly how in-depth that's going to get. At the moment, I'm just like kind of creating a blog database of, of all the games on the Game Boy to celebrate the system's 25th anniversary and you know i might actually be finished by the time the 35th anniversary rolls around so look forward <laughs> to that that sounds good well thank you all for joining us on this extra long episode and we'll see you next week with an all-new episode of retronauts pocket later